Welcome to the Constructionist Podcast, hosted by Caleb. Just as we grow gardens and build buildings, God is building you through the renewing of your mind. The sufficiency of the scriptures is paramount in your journey, and every week, Caleb will challenge you to make them a central part of your life and worldview. Join us now as we explore the world through the ancient lens of God's Word. So here we are at the Constructionist Podcast, and today we're going to look at one of the names of God. So God has multiple names in the Bible. We tend to be a bit boring, I think, here in the Western world or maybe even the English-speaking world. We tend to just say God or we say Father or something like that. But the Old Testament actually has a large variety of names that God has that are characteristics of God. And there are cultures out there that this is not an uncommon thing. When I lived in South Africa, the proper name or the common name for Nelson Mandela was Madiba. That's what they referred to him as in newspapers and and uh, in publications and as sort of a familiar family name is one way you could put it, because in his culture, even though his name was Nelson, which was a given name when he first went to school as a child, the I think his teacher was a white lady, and so she gave him the name Nelson, but his family name was Mandela. But then his family had, in Zulu culture, we would call it a, a praise name, and his praise name was Madiba, and that is what he commonly went by as well within South Africa. And so it was not uncommon for people in that particular kind of culture to pick up names and gain names as they go. I remember reading about how at funerals people would, would have multiple names that they would go by. So biblical culture and Middle Eastern culture isn't much different than that. God has multiple names that uh, will be used as a reminder of some thing or another. So uh, there's, I have a list right here in front of me of uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 names for God, one of them being God, Elohim, <coughs> in the Old Testament. And that's not even including, uh, if you want to include ones for Jesus, like uh, Logos and uh or whatever else in the New Testament. So I'm not going to mention those because I can't think of any <laughs> off the top of my head. Redeemer, things like that. Um, but names like El Shaddai, El Elyon, Adonai, Jehovah Rapha, uh, God our healer. Things like this are names used that you can draw from to get strength even in your own life. So I was talking to my wife a week or so ago, and she was saying how she was starting to work through some of these names in her own uh, personal study time. And she said they're marvelous when you go through the Psalms and find that some of these names are used and drawn upon in a prayer in the Psalms. And so you're sort of, uh, you're praying to God, but sort of in, to, to try to remind him or to uh, even remind yourself, but sort of to tap in, I don't know if that's the best way to put it, but to to tap into his character in that regard. If it's Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, Jehovah um, Jireh, the Lord who provides. 
So today we want to look at Jehovah Nisi or Yahweh. Actually, more appropriately, it would be Yahweh Nisi. And the it means the Lord is my banner. The Lord is my banner. So let's look at the passage that this name of God comes from, and it's in Exodus chapter 17. So I'll just read it. It's not a very long passage. Exodus 17 from verse 8. Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, choose us some men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up on the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands on one side, one on one side and one on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write for this a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called its name, The Lord is my banner. For he said, because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So the Lord is my banner, it says. Now, they had just won the battle against the people of Amalek. Amalek is was the grandson of Esau. So these people are descendants of, this, of Isaac. Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Esau became the father of a number of nations, one of them being Amalek. And Jacob, his name was changed to Israel, and he is the father of the Israelites and the various tribes within them. So Amalek actually means, the name itself means valley dweller. They fought against someone who dwells in a valley. And he is, they are descendants of Esau. Esau, his type, if you want to talk about it, is so in, so he was the twin brother of Jacob. Jacob was the second born. Esau was the first born. So throughout the, basically the, throughout the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, but it, the Old Testament is giving us a, a repetitious pattern. And that pattern is designed to teach us that first and seconds have uh, an importance to them. So a firstborn, typically, or a first wife, or a first uh, position, is usually cast in a bad light in the Bible, quite often cast in a bad light in the Bible. Whereas the second position uh, in the Old Testament is usually cast in a good light. So some examples. Cain and Abel. Cain killed his brother Abel. In the Old Testament, Cain is looked at very badly, whereas Abel is looked at very positively. Jacob and Esau is another example. Isaac and Ishmael. Ishmael was the firstborn. Isaac was the secondborn. Esau was the firstborn. Jacob was the secondborn. 
So throughout the book of Genesis, the line of, of inheritance of the promises God made to Abraham always are going through that second born. They're always going through uh, the one you wouldn't expect culturally to be inheriting everything. So typically we think, oh, the firstborn is the king or something like that. But in the Bible, quite often, it's the second one that gets it. So remember the people wanted a king and God said to Samuel, right, give them a king. He gave them Saul. But David is the one who comes second and he is a king after God's own heart. So you end up with this sort of pattern that goes through. So what this is trying to say is what Paul explains now in the New Testament of the first and the second. Adam was the first man. Jesus is the second man. And so you find that the seconds, Isaac, Jacob, David, they become pictures or types of who Jesus is. Now, Amalek who is a dweller in a valley, he is descendant of Esau, who is the firstborn. So he is a picture of the flesh. Read the story of Esau. The guy was like really emotional and always went with whatever his stomach was telling him. You know, he's hungry. Uh, he's in a bad mood. You know, he's he was selfish, uh, thought a lot of himself, things like that. So he's a picture of our flesh. Our flesh wants us to make ourselves the middle of everything. We want what's best. We want the privileges. We want uh, all the best of everything. That's what your, your flesh is pampering you constantly to be that way inclined. But what it does is, is it lowers you. It lowers your... Uh, it lowers your soul down to where you actually become kind of a spoiled brat is what you end up becoming. You, you're you never content. You're always covetousness all the time. You always think everything should be done for your benefit and your sake. You don't care about other people. The flesh actually has a way of breaking you down, even though it tells you the lie that everything will be great if you feed it. So things may seem great for a couple hours, half an hour, uh, you know, a day, a month, a year, whatever it happens to be, but it catches up to you and you end up becoming empty. So the New Testament idea of the flesh means A, our physical body, but also this spiritual reality that we are subject to and we can be slaves to it. So the goal then is to overcome that and live in the light of the second. So Amalek is in this line. He's a dweller in a valley. And Amalek attacked Israel, and Israel went out and fought. And who led the battle, the actual battle itself? The one leading the battle is Joshua. Joshua, his Hebrew name should be pronounced uh, Yehoshua, which is almost identical to Yeshua in the New Testament for the name of Jesus. And so Joshua is also a second. Moses was the first leader of the nation of Israel as they came out of Egypt. Joshua was the second leader. And so he's the one that is able to go in and conquer the land. Moses was not able to do that because Moses represents law. Law cannot bring salvation. It never brings lasting peace. You have to have a higher law or a second law. So the second law, according to Romans is the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. 
And so you have two laws now. The Mosaic law, which Paul talks about, is a, a way that can bring death. But then you have the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, which is a way of life. It's a second. So you have a first law, second law. See how that works? So Joshua is down there fighting the battle, but Moses is the one who's providing a kind of context. He's the one through whom God is functioning. So God works through that law for his purposes. And they defeated Amalek in the end. But it took two other people, one on both sides of Moses, to kind of balance out him out. Uh, in order for it to happen. Moses couldn't actually do it on his own. He needed help. He needed uh, Joshua down there fighting the battle, but he also needed two other guys holding up his arms, his brother Aaron and a guy named uh, Hur, I think, is what, if, was a, if we read that correctly. Uh, I read through it. I'm pretty sure I'm right about that. Let me just double check. Joshua, Amalek, and then, uh, Moses became heavy, so they, and then they Amalek... Um, uh, yep, Aaron and her were the ones that actually were doing that. So Amalek now uh, is given this curse, if you want to say it like that. And so the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So that's why Moses sets up an altar and calls it, the Lord is my banner, because the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So God is always in a position to want to eradicate your flesh. He doesn't want you to have any confidence in yourself. He doesn't want you to be the center of everything. He doesn't want you to be always feeding yourself and pampering yourself and making yourself feel good and sweet and special all the time. God is at war with the flesh. So the reality is, is that if we overcome, if we allow Jesus to fight our battle for us, and we have the, the balance that Moses had of having Aaron and uh, her holding him up, so there has to be this sort of balance. Moses himself, the law itself, cannot actually achieve these things. It has to have more to do what it needs to do. And that more is an infusion of the spirit to bring about the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. So the Lord is my banner. He is at war with your flesh. And because of that, you need to be looking to him as your banner. So I am going to take this idea of banner and apply it to the idea of identification, identifying identification. Who do you identify with? Right? So Humans are funny things. We love to identify with things. And so you see people wearing their favorite sports jerseys and they got the name of their favorite player on the back and they wear the hat. And, uh, you know, I'm a Dodgers fan. No, I'm a Chiefs fan. No, I'm a Cubs fan. Um, you know, they go off and they yell and they scream and they actually become fans of a particular sport. doesn't matter what the sport is, tennis, golf, Ah, baseball, football, basketball, whatever you want to say, swimming, all those things. People who play these sports have fans, which we call them fans, but it's actually short for fanatic. They become, the, the spectators can become fanatic about what they are witnessing and watching. And so they wear the shirt, they put the colors on, they identify with that team so that when they are there at the game, people recognize them as we're the fan of this team. 
And so you stay over there. You're fans of that team. If you're wearing green and I'm wearing blue, then I'm going to say, oh, what a shame that you have to wear green. You know, we, we do this all the time. People do it all the time. You all know what I mean. I don't care what country you're from. I don't care what language you speak. I don't care what sports teams you have in your area. Humans all do the same thing when it comes to that kind of thing. They identify with that sport and even with players in the game. So... In the old-time battles in war, they would hold up a banner. I remember watching uh, the Sharps Rifles series. I don't know if you've heard of it or seen it. If you're in England, I'm sure you've heard of it. Um, I don't know that I would recommend it, but it was years ago I watched it. But I remember one particular episode, there was a battle scene taking place. And they were charging. The British uh, army was charging the French army because it was all during Napoleon and all that kind of era. And there was a guy who would be running with the banner. He was running with the standard or the flag. That's what he had. He was part of the charge going forward. If that guy was shot and killed and the flag fell, it was the duty of the next guy to pick it up and keep going. As long as a retreat had not been called. The flag had to be moving forward. And if that guy was shot and killed or fell... The next nearest guy who saw it happen would have to pick it up and keep going. And that was the responsibility of whoever was nearest the banner or the flag or the thing that identified your army. As long as everybody on the field could see that thing up in the air moving forward, they knew that they were had to be on the attack, on the, 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 the fight. Okay, So the Lord is my banner. So I love it in the Hebrew when the Bible, when the Hebrew writer uses my banner, my rock, my strength, my shade, my whatever it happens to be, fortress. So the 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 language of the Old Testament always personalizes God. It always makes God my this. Now, if you pay attention to Saul's life, King Saul's life. You will find, I don't think, and you can email me at calebtheelectrician at gmail.com if, if I'm mistaken. I don't think that King Saul ever says, my God. Whenever he talks about God with Samuel, he always says, your God. It doesn't say, my God. And the Bible does that on purpose to make a distinction between those who are the Lord's and those who are not that, that but who are not really committed to the Lord. So if you're going to watch the buddy next to you, get take a bullet and fall, and he falls with that banner going down, and you know it's your duty to pick it up, you're committed. And you will pick up that banner and you will keep running so that the entire force of the military stays moving forward. That's what needs to happen. That's how our mindset should be with the Lord is my banner. If that banner goes down and that guy died to keep to, you know, in the process and he gave his life and, and you pick it up because it's your banner and you are under the command of a higher power saying you need to go out and fight that battle. And in the context of Exodus chapter 17, with the the heritage of Amalek and where he lives, the battle is against the deep ugliness of our flesh. You remember Amalek lives down in a valley. You know, he's down where it's colder. He's down where it's, uh, the troubles are. So the Bible often uses a valley as, you know, the valley of the shadow of death, this kind of thing. 
And so it's sometimes a negative connotation going into these valleys. And uh, wadis and valleys in Israel are actually somewhat dangerous. If you're down in a wadi um, in Israel, it's you never you don't want to stay down there because it is not uncommon for rain to take place far away and it'll flood down through these wadis and wash right through. And I've heard stories of people in Israel that have been killed because they've been down in these wadis and a huge, uh, you know, a six foot wall of water comes washing through and just wipes your tent out or you or whatever, and you can't get out of the wadi. So in the, in the Jewish, in the biblical mind, a valley is not necessarily the best place to be. It's the valley of the shadow of death uh, in these cases. And so, Amalek is a valley dweller. Jerusalem is up on top. It's up on the high mountain. So Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is my banner. This word Nisi comes from the Hebrew word Nasa. So Hebrew always has, Hebrew words always have a root verb to them. If it's not a verb, if it's a noun or an adjective or something like that, it has a root verb behind it. So it's a very active language. Everything is rooted in verbs. So there's two possible meanings. One is, it means to be lifted up. So, a, a, a nasa, nasa means to be lifted up. A nisi is something lifted up, a banner. A banner is lifted up. So, it's a nisi from the word nasa. And so, another meaning of it is uh, to gleam from afar or to be conspicuous as a signal or perhaps, uh, oh, and it goes off. I'm reading the Hebrew. Uh, the idea of a flag fluttering in the wind, to raise a beacon to lift up an ensign. These are all different things. And so uh, it has the idea of being lifted up and to be able to be seen from afar. And so the idea of glittery, gleamy is in there. So a beacon is the same kind of idea. Uh, in When I used to live in England, there was Brecon Beacon and different hilltops that were beacons. I don't know if you've seen Lord of the Rings when uh, Pippin lights the beacon and there's this beautiful scene where the fires on hilltops are lit up. And so the people who are watching these locations know if they see a fire over there, they light their beacon to pass the word on or vice versa. That's how it works. So it's something high. It's something um, that needs to be visible, that's expected to be looked at. It's about identifying when you're dressed up as a, as a, you know, wearing your favorite team sports gear, you want to be identified. You want to be seen as definitely being part of that team. And you, and you know, and we won the game and we caught a field goal and we blah, blah, blah. That's how these guys talk when they're real fanatics. They talk as if they're the ones winning the game and they're the ones playing the sport, but they're not, but they so identify. And that's what we need to be doing. That's why I'm trying to wrap all this together is that the Lord is my banner. Are we identifying with him? Is he up there for us to look at and to follow, even if it means to the point of death? And so the Lord is my banner is the name that God gave, that Moses gave to God when they won the battle against Amalek. When you are fighting the flesh and you're stuffing yourself again and you know you weigh 350 pounds or you're wasting your life watching this horrific thing on the internet or in this film 
or if you're, uh, you know, squandering your money on that car and you're having it all buffed up and shiny or whatever because it's a, it's a sense of, you know, you want to be seen as having the car. These are all, you know, we could do a whole thing on the flesh and all the aspects of it and the nuances of it and things like that. It's, it's quite a, it can be disgusting <laughs> is what it can be. And God does not relent. He wants to be at war with that from generation to generation. And yet we live in a, an affluent Western culture, in a first world culture. And so because we have the money to spend, we can have the fiber optic and stream any film we want for every person in our house to be on every device they want. And if they add up the value of all those devices, it's like if you have five people in your house and everyone has an iPad, you're talking like you know $2,500 and you're all streaming different films and whatever else it's it's actually an unhealthy way of living life and it's it's causing a glut in the body of Christ and so we need to break away from these things get back to scripture look at it and say where is my attention supposed to be i need to be in prayer to overcome the things that i know that god is putting on my conscience to say this is not the life that I need to be living, there's more to it than this. I need to be looking outward. I need to be giving. I need to be glorifying God. I need to be doing things with my life that produce righteousness in other people. And if that's not happening, then we need to maybe question and say, is the Lord our banner? Are we identifying with the Lord? Is he the thing that we are running after in that battle? So that's the challenge for you. I would suggest you take some time to to pray and seek God's face and say, where is my flesh having control of my life that's hindering you? And if you're consistent in that, God will show you and you won't like it because your flesh will squirm and wiggle and whine and fight and you'll either give in to your flesh and become a lazy blob slob or you will overcome it and you will have victory in that just like Moses did, and Joshua in this battle, and then you can say, the Lord is my banner. God bless you. Have a great evening. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. If you were challenged and encouraged by what you heard today, please feel free to share it with any friends or family you like. You're welcome to email us at calebtheelectrician at gmail.com. That's calebtheelectrician at gmail.com. And remember... To leave a comment at iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere that you listen to podcasts.